set in position three elders in addition to the two that we have. Let me just read what it says in Titus. I'm going to begin reading in the Titus, the first chapter, the fifth verse, and it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order with things that are lacking and appoint elders in every church as I command you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for, an, for a bishop, which is talking about the elder, for the bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. And so we have three that we're going to um, set in that place of, of authority today, and uh, so we want to pray over them and lay hands on them and set them in that position. So if I can have uh, Bill Sutton and, and Steve Pope and Aaron Schroeder, if you will come forward at this time. Hallelujah. And so I've looked upon these three men and, and I consider them to fulfill those obligations and requirements spoken of there in Titus as I read. And so uh, we're gonna lay hands on them. And right now I'm stalling because I'm waiting for Pastor Becky to come through those doors because <laughs> she's downstairs uh, taking care of the children right now at this point. And so if, uh, somebody's getting her meds. And uh, so while they're getting her, if I could have uh, the sitting elders, if they'll come forward, and, and uh, uh, the pastors of Presbytery in the body, if they'll come forward, uh, Pastor Troy, um, Pastor Harold, if you wouldn't mind, would you come and... We probably need you to lay hands on your son. <laughs> on, on a different part of the body this time. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Do you have anything you want to speak to these guys before we lay hands on them? Not yet. <laughs> Let's all stand up. And extend your hands of faith this way.
as we lay our hands upon them. Father God, we give you glory and honor. We thank you for these men. We thank you, Father, for godly men whom you've entrusted with responsibilities, not only as husbands and fathers, but responsibilities within this community and responsibilities within this church. And so, Father, as we lay hands on them today, we acknowledge and recognize what you've done in their lives and how you have a call and a purpose for them beyond their, their secular jobs, but within the body of Christ to perform the works, the duties that you have for them. And so, Father, we as a body of believers, we recognize these men for the position to which you've called them. And then we as elders and the presbytery of this church, we lay our hands upon them. And Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we set them in the position to which you've called them as elders of this body. And Father, we thank you that you impart unto them wisdom, understanding, to be able to provide the wisdom and the leadership that we need as a body. Father, I thank you that these are men that I, as a pastor of this church and Pastor Becky can turn to, to receive wisdom, to receive direction and guidance. And so Father, we speak a blessing upon them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Father, use them, guide them, direct them by your precious Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Bless you. Bless you. God bless you. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. Hallelujah. Isn't God wonderful? Yes. Praise the Lord. Well, I didn't think about this, that I was going to be praying for the elders today when I got my message. Um, but uh, what I want to share with you today is your sanctification has moved on the inside of you. The importance of that is that I think sometimes we, we look at one another and we, we look at one another in the natural rather than looking at the spiritual man who we are through Christ Jesus. And, uh, you know, I heard somebody say this years back. They said, we're saved by faith but everything else we get from God, we've got to work for it. Well, I couldn't disagree with the statement more. Not the first part of it, because we are saved by grace. But everything that we are, everything that we receive from God is by His grace. You know, I stand before you this morning because of the grace of God the elders and pastors that came up to pray are in the positions that they're in because of the grace of God. 
And the elders that we have just set in uh, their place this morning is because of the grace of God. And so everything that we have is, is a result of, of his work in our life. And uh, one of my, well, I got a lot of favorite passages in the Bible. But one of my favorites, because it really opened my eyes to, to this truth. And it comes from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter and the 30th verse. And it says, but of him, but of Christ, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us. This is what Christ Jesus became for us. Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And you know what that passage does is it totally sets us free from the standpoint of realizing that everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we're going to achieve is a result of the glory of God in our life. You know what it does is it, it relieves the pressure. Because the pressure isn't on us to do something. If there's any pressure, the pressure is to learn how to cooperate with the Holy Ghost, how to cooperate with Him, because He's the one that works it all. And, and for many years, I felt like it was my responsibility to work out my own sal sanctification, salvation, from the standpoint of sanctification. And sanctification is a process. But what I want us to realize is it's been imparted into our life. And, and to live a holy life isn't dependent upon my achieving it through my ability. Living a holy life is dependent upon me learning how to lean upon the Holy Spirit. You know, when we were looking at switching churches some years back when we were living in Ankeny, Iowa, we went to this other church down there for a while and, and uh, practically every Sunday we, we sang this song and the song kind of drive, drove me crazy but after I've come to understand what the song is really talking about, I actually kind of like it now. And, and so let me put my, my country slant on it Should have the king come up here and sing it for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> learning to lean, learning to lean, learning to lean on Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. If we would get the revelation of that, not my singing, but of what that song is talking about. Our life would be totally simplified. When we would learn, if we would learn to lean on him and to realize 
that he is a support that will never let us down. He is a support in our life that will never fail us. And so he's our ability. He's the one that gives us wisdom. He's the one that is our righteousness. And, and what's interesting about this verse is for many years, there were part of that verse that we felt was, was, was directly a result of the grace of God in our life, but the rest of it, we had to work out for it. But you know, the thing about it is, this whole verse is talking about the whole thing. That is all because of Jesus, who because became, he became for us, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, if he's our redemption, he's our sanctification. If he's our righteousness, he's our sanctification. If he's our wisdom, he's our sanctification. And so what that means is, it's totally dependent upon him. It's not dependent upon us. And when we begin to understand this, and this is why it is so important because so often we still see ourselves as that poor, miserable sinner saved by grace. But let me tell you something. You were a poor, miserable sinner that was saved by grace. But because of Jesus Christ, you are now the righteousness of God in Christ. You are a saint of God. You're no longer ain't. You're a saint. Let me share some passages with you. I think so often we get so accustomed through to, to reading through some of these verses that we don't really pay attention to what we're, we're reading. You know, I'm, I'm melancholy, so I'm task-oriented, and so I've got my Read Through the Bible in a Year program. You know, and so sometimes I sit down and I... I get my Bible reading done for the day. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But you know what? When I'm done with it, I don't know what I read. You know why? Because I was finishing the task. But you know what? It's not supposed to be a task that we finish. It's supposed to be a time where we're interacting with God, with the Holy Spirit, and we allow him to speak to us. And when he speaks to us, he begins to re reveal things to us. Listen to this in Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. To all the saints. You know who that's talking to? It's talking to all of us. As born-again believers... We are the saints of God in Philemon. The first chapter in the fifth verse, it says, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards all the saints, not just a portion of the saints, but to all the saints, Colossians, the first chapter, the second verse, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, what's the significance of, of those little verses? I want you to see something in this. God, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is speaking to Paul, and he's directing the communication to you and I, and he calls us saints. That means that we're looked upon as being a, a holy child of God. But it isn't based on my holiness. It isn't based on my efforts. It isn't based on what I've done. It's what Jesus has done in me and through me. In Ephesians, the first chapter in the 13th verse, it says, in him. I won't give you my little lecture this morning how you need to get a hold of Brother Hagin's little mini book, In Him, the little blue one, where it talks about 133 different passages in the Bible that make reference to you as to who you are in Christ Jesus. Well, this is one of those verses. In Him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Think about that. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Later on in Ephesians, it says there's neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, that there is absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Why? Because you've been sealed. And the other part, of it, if we just begin to recognize and understand it, we're, we're, we're sealed from the standpoint that none of the attacks of the enemy can steal from us what God has promised to us, that it's not our, our ability to resist the devil that causes him to flee, but it's our submission to the word of God and standing upon it and recognizing that what he has promised to you and I shall come to pass, that he is not withholding any good thing from you or me. I mean, that's good news. He's not withholding any good thing from you and me. In Hebrews, the, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse, then we'll drop down to the 14th verse. It says, by, <clears throat> by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of, of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did you hear that? You have been sanctified once and for all through Christ Jesus because of what he did for you and me, the 14th verse. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By one offering, we're sanctified through the blood of Jesus. Now it says, who are being sanctified. 
The thing that we realize is through our cooperation with him, the manifestation of the sanctification begins to be revealed on the outside. But it isn't by my willpower. It isn't by me and my ability to do what needs to be done. It's as I put my confidence in the completed works of Jesus. Let me tell you, we oftentimes are, are waiting for Jesus to do something. Listen, folk, he's already done it. His work is complete. He is seated at the right hand of Father God on high. He has sat down because he's completed his work. And that work was done for you and I so that we might live the victorious life. And that's why that born again experience that we talk about is so important because the moment that we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, whether we realize it or not, all of these graces have been imparted into our life. And as we grow in our understanding of him, we begin to realize what Jesus truly did for us. You know, the problem is, is we can have something, but not know it. I had a 1981 Riviera. It was a diesel. I didn't know much about diesels when I grew up on the farm. We had tractors that barely ran on gas, but, uh, but it was a diesel. And I went through starters and that thing because I'd have to boom, 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 boom when it was cold to get it going. And One Christmas, we were up at my parents' up in Hastings. And it wouldn't start, and so we, 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 we pushed it over to the shop where my dad was a custodian in the school, into the school shop, so it would warm up and... And while it was in the shop, one of my, well, somebody opened the hood on it so that the air could flow. And they looked in there and they said, uh, well, why didn't you plug it in? And I says, what are you talking about? Why didn't I plug it in? And he pulls the plug out and says, the engine has a heater on it. And all you'd have to do is plug it in and when you would get in it, it would it'd heat the motor up. You know what, I never burned out another starter. But you know what, it was, it was there all the time. The manufacturer had put a heater on the motor so that that diesel, when it got cold, you could plug it in and it would heat it up. It was there all the time. Just because you don't know Everything that Jesus has done for you doesn't mean that it's not available to you. It was available to me all the time. But you know what? I never read the manual. Because, you know, after all, only wimps read manuals. Can you hear a rousing, oh my. For many, the problem in their Christian walk is they've never read the manual, the Bible. They don't know what Jesus 
has made available to each and every one of us. Going back to Ephesians once again. Ephesians, the first chapter, the fourth verse. It says, just as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now listen to this. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You were chosen before the foundation of the world, not just simply to be saved. You were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Almighty God. And I don't know about you, for years and years in my Christian walk, I thought God was sitting up in heaven being picky with me, picking out every one of my shortcomings. But see, he looks at me differently than how he looked at me in the world. He looks at me through the blood of Jesus. And when he looks at me through the blood of Jesus, he sees no imperfection. We see it in one another. But that's because we're looking at the flesh. But he looks at me and he sees no imperfection. You know, I, I, I look at my grandkids. And my children irritate me. Because they see imperfection. I look at them and I think, what is wrong with you? This child, this beautiful, loving, obedient, how, how am I doing, Mads? Doing okay? <laughs> child is perfect. In every, every way. It amazes me that I could have given birth to such, well, Becky, really it's your fault, could have given birth to such foolish people. But see, that's how God looks at us. He doesn't see imperfection. He sees perfection because of who we are in Christ Jesus. And each and every one of us, this is why the word is so important. These are why these verses that I've shared with you today are so important. We need to begin to see ourselves through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, through the eyes of God. I'm not just talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about you need to see you through those eyes. Because what happens is, it begins to lift you out of that pit of despair. It begins to lift you out of that place of hopelessness. It lifts you to that place where you begin to see what Jesus has done through you and what he can do through you if you'll give him the opportunity to do so. 
But let me tell you something. If you continue to look at yourself in the flesh, you'll be disappointed. Because your flesh isn't going to be totally changed until we're in his presence. But when you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, there's something that happens. The change that you long for in your life, it begins to take place. But it isn't because you're trying, it's just because your will has been changed and you desire to follow after him. Listen to this in, in John 14. I think we probably read this last week. But I want to read it again this week. John 14, the Gospel of John 14, verse 16. And it says, remember this is Jesus, he's talking to his disciples. And he's saying to them that I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave you. And he says, and I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper or comforter, whom the world, uh, I'll give you another helper, that he, that he, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, that he may be with you forever. The one that has sealed you has said, I will not leave you. I will be with you forever. And guess what? He's here under the direction of Jesus. And so he's going to be with us forever. How long is that? That's till Jesus comes back. You know, if Jesus tarries, there's going to come a day that uh, Aaron's going to plant me. And uh, even before he has the opportunity to do so, I'll be in the presence of Jesus. And until that moment, the Holy Spirit will be right alongside me to help me every moment, every step of the way. And you know what? If Jesus doesn't tarry, if Jesus comes, and we all join him in the air, Guess what? At that moment, the Holy Spirit will still be right alongside us. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's here to help us in the very same way that Jesus came to help us. He came to help us. Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God that's being spoken to you and me. As the elect of God, you are the elect of God. You have been chosen by God. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Why are we able to do that? Because we're holy. And we're in the beloved because he has taken up residence on the inside of us. And he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Listen to this. Romans eleven sixteen. 
<clears throat> Y'all need to watch this video online because obviously you get more excited over videos than, than listening to me live. Romans, the 11th chapter, the 16th verse. Let's listen, just listen to this. For if the, if the first fruit is holy, the lump, you bunch of lumps, the lump is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Who is the first fruit? Jesus. Who is the root? Jesus. We are the branches. We are the lump. And if the root is holy, we're holy. Amen. You're holy. Amen. And this is what I want you to see through what I'm sharing with you today. I want you to realize, I want you to see yourself the way God sees you. Well, pastor, you've gotta be careful. If you convince people of these things, they'll. They'll go out and do whatever they want. Have you looked around you lately? People are doing whatever they want. But let me tell you something. If you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, it'll change you. You'll begin to live differently because you'll see the world differently. You'll see your life differently. It wasn't this way under the old covenant. You know, in, in 2 Samuel 6, 7, I'm not going to read it, but if you remember the account of, um, I can never pronounce his name right, Uzziah, but he was the one that reached out and touched the ark, and he wasn't supposed to cut, touch the ark, and you know what happened to him? He died, fell over dead. You know, somebody said to me one time, you know, if they found the Ark of the Covenant, would you look in it? Yes! Well, wouldn't you be afraid of falling over dead? No! Well, well why? Because I'm now the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. You and I, we handle the presence of God. Why? Because God lives, resides on the inside of you and me. What they didn't have in the Old Testament, we have on the New Testament, in the New Testament. And so no, we don't have to be fearful of coming into the presence of God. He welcomes us into the presence of God. But see, oftentimes, we're New Testament saints living off of Old Testament principles. We need to get where we need to be. We need to realize what has truly been accomplished in our lives. In Galatians, oh my, I got all kinds of time left. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Galatians 1. Everybody, oh, I thought it was about done. 
Galatians, the first chapter. The 24th verse. And they glorified God in me. What does that mean? That means because we are now holy, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, we're able to give him glory. We're able to worship him as we've never worshiped him before. We're able to come to him and, and rejoice for all that he's accomplished in each of our lives. Look with me to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, beginning in the sixth verse. It says, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. We have this treasure, what he's just spoken of. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. See, we need to realize something. When we give him glory, he receives glory. We're not getting it. It belongs to him. Because it's him, he working on the inside of us. And what he wants to work in us is for us to will, to will and to do his good pleasure. Not just simply to do his good pleasure, but will to do his good pleasure. And so what he does is he, he changes our will. Let's look at Isaiah, the 60th chapter, Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For the darkness, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and Deep darkness, the people. Does that seem to describe the day that we live in? Darkness has covered the earth. Deep darkness, the people. But. Everybody say, but. But the Lord will rise over you. And guess what? Has already done it. This is speaking prophetically. He's already done it. But the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. How is God's glory to be seen upon you? Because it's not coming upon you, it's coming in you. And as it's in you, it shines through you. So others are able to see it. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. What does that mean? That it, might, it ought to become obvious to everybody around us who we're different, 
We're different because of what Jesus has done in our life. When others are experiencing defeat, we experience the abundance life, the abundant life. Why? Because of Jesus. Does that mean we don't ever have any difficulty? We're still in the world. But we're not of the world. The world doesn't dictate to us how we live our life and the glory that is revealed through you and me. It's all about Jesus. It's looking to him. God is able to use us. In Acts, the eighth chapter, you don't have to turn there. I'm not going to read it. You can read it later on for yourself. But it's the account of, of how Philip was walking along the road and he came upon this Enoch and he, the Enoch is reading from Isaiah. And he says to him, do you understand what you're saying? He says, no, how can I understand? Because I don't have anybody to teach me. Will you teach me? And so he crawled up in the chariot and began to teach him. See, there's something about Philip. This man obviously had encountered religious people because he is reading from the book of uh, Isaiah, I believe it was. And not, it, it wasn't in mass print. You understand what I'm saying? But he was able to have it and read it and Philip was able to explain it to him. Philip had something they didn't see in anybody else. You have something that the world doesn't see in anybody else. When we walk around hopeful, when we walk around victoriously, when, when everything around us is falling apart, the world sees something they can't see in any other place. It begins when we're born again. But we need to understand as a threefold being, when we're born again, it's our spirit man that is changed immediately. And, and all of these graces, all of these blessings of God are imparted into our spirit man. But you know, just like that 81 Riviera that had a engine heater in it. It didn't do any good until it was realized and it was plugged in. But it was there all the time. All of us, we, every one of us, we may think we do, but we don't. We may think we have a full understanding of the full counsel of God, but we don't. As long as we're in these bodies, there is more of God for us to learn about. There is more of what he has imparted into our lives for us to come to an understanding of so that we can plug it in, so that we can experience the blessing of it. We won't come to that place of full understanding until we're looking Jesus right smack in the face. And even, I'm not even sure of it then. I, I believe that all of eternity is going to be spent learning more about our Father God, of His greatness, of how wonderful He truly is. But it begins when we're born again. And at that point, we begin to change 
as a person, as a, as a human being. Colossians 1.27. It says, to them God willed to make known. To them God willed to make known. To us is God's will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our hope of glory is a deeper revelation of Christ in me. Because the greater I understand Christ in me, the greater I will experience the glory that comes through him and through he alone. Philippians 2.13. It says, For it is God who works in you. For it is God. Did you hear me? For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Isn't that interesting? He's the one that works in us to give us the will to do his good pleasure. And so there's an area that we struggle. And we don't really have the will to change. But he says that he wants to work in us both the will and the do. He'll give us the will. If we'll give him an opportunity, how, how do we get there? Through the word. Through revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in each of our lives. And he'll give us the will to fulfill his good pleasure. This is a passage that we're all very familiar with, but how can you go through this teaching without reading it at least one time? And it's 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, in the 23rd and the 24th verse, and it says, Now may the God of peace himself, the God of peace himself, that means he and nobody else, means he's the only one that can accomplish this in you and me. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body. So notice, he doesn't just care about a third of you. It isn't that he just cares about your spirit. He cares about all of you because he says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. What he's talking about here, who called you? Jesus. You know, we, we, we think we did something. All we did was we finally heard the call. And we responded to the call in a positive way. Because the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit draw you. And so I don't know who the vessel was or what it was that drew you. You might have been watching TV and all of a sudden something came on and caught your attention and it was a preacher and you heard it and you received it. You may have been reading a book. Maybe you saw a track or a flyer someplace and it got your attention. Maybe it was somebody in this room that sat down with you and shared Jesus with you. But guess what? That individual was just the mouthpiece. It was the Holy Spirit that was the draw. And But the Holy Spirit draws none of us would be saved. And it says that the one that drew us, the one that called us, that's the Holy Spirit, that's Jesus. It's, it's that same one that will do it. Or in other words, it's the same one that's going to accomplish it in our lives. You know, Paul said in, in Galatians, he says, oh, you foolish Galatians, Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? And what he's saying to us, it was the Holy Spirit that drew you. Why are you forsaking the leading, the drawing of the Holy Spirit? Because the one that began that good work in you, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is the one that's going to see it through to completion. It's the work of God. You are a work of God. You are a work of the Holy Spirit. It's like we're in the, in the hands of that potter. We're in the hands of a great designer. And he's the one that's molding us. He's the one that's fashioning us. He's the one that's given us the form that we need to complete what he's called each and every one of us to be. He's the one that's formed us so that we can be the, the husband, the wife, the, the parent, the worker, the, the employer, the worker. He's the one that forms it with each and every one of us. And he does it by the Holy Spirit. You are, you are saved by the Holy Spirit. Your mind is renewed as we yield to the Word of God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we come to the place where we're able to crucify or deny the flesh by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's all Him. It's not us. Hebrews 2.11, it says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sacrificed are all of one, for which reason he is not 
he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He calls us brethren. He calls us his saints. We belong to him. In Hebrews, the 13th chapter, the 20th verse. I know I'm giving you a lot of scriptures today. I, Junior, I thought he was going to faint when I gave him the, the list because I had to go on to the back side to get all the scriptures on there. But you know what? If you want to change, it's not going to be me or any other preacher. It's going to bring about change in your life. It's going to be the Word of God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's going to work in you to accomplish what needs to be done. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. It's through the working of Jesus Christ that we experience the change. And why do we want change? So that we can serve him more effectively. Jude 24 and 25. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Oftentimes we're fearful. We're afraid we're going to miss it. We're afraid we're going to fall. We've seen it in the lives of other people. Amen. Where they've missed it, they've fallen. It looks like they've totally walked away from God. What if that happens to me? Not if we're doing what we're talking about today. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Only, not only does he keep you from falling, he keeps you from stumbling. And to present you faultless. Whoa. Not only does he keep us from stumbling, he presents us before the Father faultless. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power. When? Both now and forever. You see, he wants to do that through you and me, now and forever. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter in the 13th verse, it says, better get into the second verse. But we are bound, but we are bound to give thanks 
to God always for you, brethren. Beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Spirit and truth. It's by the Spirit and believing in truth. You are called before the sanct before the foundation of the world, not just simply to be saved, but to be sanctified through the work of God in your life so that we, each and every one of us, can be a vessel used for his glory and nothing, absolutely nothing, can steal us from him. John 10.10 says the thief has come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. What has he come to steal? He's come to steal what Jesus provided for us. But he can't unless we give him access, unless we give him permission. He's come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I've come you might have life, that you might have Zoe, that you might not just have it abundantly, but that you might have it more abundantly. What does that mean? You ain't seen nothing yet. What God has available for each and every one of us, we have not seen anything yet. We've just barely touched the tip of the iceberg of what God has made available to each and every one of us. Finally, let me read one more scripture and then we'll close. Romans, the sixth chapter. The first verse. What shall I say then? Shall we continue in grace or shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? And of course, he answers the question, certainly not. How shall we? You see, the problem is the view that we have of ourselves. The problem is how do we look at ourselves and how do we, how do we consider ourselves? Do we consider ourselves to be the righteousness of God in Christ? Or do we still consider ourselves a sinner that's still trying to experience salvation? And so he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, do you not know that you are dead to sin? Sin has no control, it has no dominion over your life, certainly not. 
how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? But if you don't see yourself dead to sin, it's alive in you. And we give it power to work, to manifest its miserable little deeds in our life. But when we see ourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ, we give him access to work in our life, to change our will so that we fulfill his plan in every area of life. You are holy. You have been sanctified through the blood of the Lamb, through the word of your testimony. What are you saying? What are you speaking? Are you condemning yourself? Are you passing judgment on yourself by the words that come out of your mouth? Or are you in agreement with Jesus? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And as we believe that and as we confess that, we begin to walk in it. In the world, it loses its hold upon us. It loses its grip. And as we yield to him, we allow the Holy Spirit to come alongside and arm in arm we go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory and he Jesus is lifted up and when Jesus is lifted up he says I'll draw all men unto me what's the answer for the world the answer for the world is that as we lift up Jesus, men will be drawn unto him because ultimately he is the answer. He is my answer. He is your answer. Because if he wasn't, you wouldn't be here. He's the answer for the world. Oh, Holy Spirit, have your way in each of our lives today. Today is a new day. Today is a day of salvation for each and every one of us. We've received the fullness of your salvation, but Father, we've not experienced it. And so as we yield to you, as you continued by your spirit to fill us to overflowing. And we experience more of you. Father, may we walk in it so that others may see, that others may experience just how good you really are. Father, I thank you that we serve a good God, a loving God, a God that wants us 
each and every one of us to, to achieve all that you created us for. Father, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Be blessed. Have a great afternoon. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. Be blessed.